This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by Wealthness, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, your hosts, Drew Dawkin and Grant Collins, will have an in-depth conversation about what's happening in the market. Hello, everybody. This is Drew Dawkin. We are doing our first quarantine, um, the Weekly Bull and Bear. Uh, today is Tuesday, April 1st. Um, the Dow, or I suppose it's, uh, no, it's, it's Wednesday, April 1st. Um, what happened today is the Dow fell 973.65. The days are all blending together now that you've been in quarantine for so long, Drew. Yeah, yeah. March has got, you know, 800 plus days is what I'm feeling. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, the Dow's today fell, you know, 973.65 points. Uh, it was down 4.44%. End of the day at 20,943.51. The S&P fell over um, uh, 114 points, uh, so that was down 4.41%. Um, end of the day at 2,470. Uh, VIX was up 6.57%, ending the day at 57.06. And we saw 10-year Treasury yields fall slightly, ending the day at 0.602%. Um, Yesterday on Tuesday, the Dow and the S&P 500 had closed out their worst first quarter performance of all time. The Dow fell more than uh, 23% in the first quarter. Uh, it's the largest quarterly fall for the Dow since 1987. And the S&P 500 uh, fell, you know, um, 20% in the first quarter, and that's the worst since 2008. Um, with that, we've also seen, you know, pretty – significant dips in uh, consumer confidence from the uh, University of Michigan numbers on Friday. Um, yeah, Grant, let's let's talk about those numbers a little bit. You bet. Uh, so we saw that the numbers dropped from 101 in February down to 89 in March. Uh, and so that is one of the biggest, fourth largest drops in, in, in 50 years. And I, I think overall we're seeing consumer sentiment, which is how consumers are viewing the overall health of the economy. I, I think we're really starting to see that decrease as we're seeing more and more states go into shelter in place. Uh, and we also saw, uh, as we talked about in the last, last podcast, uh, major layoffs last week and probably continued with, with the largest joblessness report. Uh, this pandemic is, is going to continue throughout April, and I think we're going to continue to see a drop throughout April uh, I don't see how sentiment is going to rise really quickly because people, even after the pandemic starts to slow down, people are not going to travel like they had before, go out to eat, go to ball games and concerts. So I think consumer sentiment is going to continue to decrease or, or stay low con compared to how it's been over the last last few years. Yeah, I mean, today we are sitting around 900,000 global cases. Um, so we're, you know, we're getting shy of that big. 1 million mark. Um, you know, the, we've extended, uh, you know, stay in place, um, look through, through April. Um, a lot of people are now looking at models of this going through May or this going through, um, you know, the summer or this even, you know, going through parts of the fall. So, you know, people are significantly less, um, you know, less bullish, um, you know, uh, right. I mean, I think, you know, from from the press conference of the president, you know, yesterday was, uh, you know, we could be looking at 250,000 deaths, right? And that's if we keep 
keep this thing really locked down and tight. So um, it's obviously an ominous signal, and, um, you know, I, I, I do think the stimulus has helped, but we know that's just a matter of time for those, you know, for companies to need cash again and for individuals to need cash again. So, uh, so it's just everything at this point is just going to be a short-term boost. Well, the, yeah, the, the, the death toll, it seems like the U.S. government came out and said it will be, even with the, the really aggressive social distancing measures that most of the, the states have implemented so far, ranges from 100,000 to 240,000. Uh, so still a, a big range and a large number of deaths. Uh, I think that we've seen Virginia come out and say that they're already placing a shelter in place until June 10th, uh, which is over two months away. I just think that for us, to, the economy has just come to an overall stop, and for us to then just be able to jumpstart it, it's going to take a while to 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 get back going. Uh, we saw that the, the Harvard economist uh, Kenneth Rogoff from uh, Harvard said that uh, it's really about how long this is going to take, and if and we're seeing that it's on the coast right now, but as it moves more inland uh, to the to the midwest and here even in montana it really depends on how long it's going to last and the longer that it lasts he thinks he described it it could be if it lasts a couple quarters it could be the mother of all financial crises uh, and i think that this is a little bit different of a financial crisis than we saw in 2008 uh, or even in the dot-com boom where this is really the the entire economy and the money in motion has drastically decreased and, and i think that we're seeing that consumer sentiment as well as unemployment could rise. Uh, so, so overall, I, I think the economy is coming to a screeching halt for the first time. Yeah, I mean, uh, you saw the President Trump was was talking about a two trillion dollar um, infrastructure bill, and I mean, obviously, infrastructure in the United States is you know, falling from from bad to worse. And um, you know, we've been talking about a bill like this for quite some time. Um, but, you know, normally, like, you know, we saw after 08, uh, we were able to stimulate the economy by, you know, um, by spending quite a bit on, on alien roads and, and bridges and everything else. Um, and and if, if we do put forward $2 trillion, it's, you know, that obviously that's a huge boon to shovel-ready uh, jobs and projects, but when do we start, right? So that's the big question. I mean, this is, this is the fundamentally different um you know, economic, economic deal because, you know, you just can't create, you know, shovel-ready jobs. You know, you can't be Roosevelt and create, like, you know, the TVA and the CCC because, you know, we're in a situation where no one can leave their homes. So, um, right, so that, right. No, that's exactly right. So that just makes the whole thing, I mean, really difficult. Uh, I mean, so we, we saw some, um, you know, the third, the, so the third and final uh, look at the fourth quarter um, was unchanged. The Commerce Department came out last Thursday and showed that we had 2.1% uh, growth in the fourth quarter of last year. Um, and, you know, that's functionally that's what economists are thinking, you know, will be last positive growth we'll see in a couple quarters here. Um, I mean, <laughs> I think I think that's certain. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, well, we saw that uh, consumer spending was slightly stronger uh, in Q4, and government spending and business investment was it was a bit lower. Uh, as you said, this this that would probably be the the last positive growth for uh, for a couple quarters as we're seeing the sharp contraction due to the coronavirus. Uh, 
we're seeing some we've seen Jerome Powell of the the Fed chairman already come out and say that the country may already well be in recession uh and the Fed is prepared to to do what they can uh but many economists believe we we've already turned negative in Q1 we'll have to wait for those and and really uh Q2 is is we're looking at some some devastating numbers there where some predict that GDP could decline by more than 35% uh, the current record for a decline in GDP is 10%, which was in Q1 of, of 1958. So that really shows how, how big of a, a drop this is going to be on the U.S. economy. Uh, what do you think about that, Drew? Yeah, I mean, well, you look at what the St. Louis Fed had to estimate in particular. Um, you know, when they were looking at um, employment reductions of maybe up to 47 million people, uh, which would translate to a 32.1% unemployment rate. Um, and that's kind of on the, you know, the darker side of things. But, you know, that's well <laughs> above, <laughs> um, you know, that's that's well above, you know, I, the recession was, you know, 10 plus. It was double digits, but this is, you know, this is a, this is a significant, significant portion of the population uh, that would be unemployed if, 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 if it comes to that. Um, and, you know, but, 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 but for how long, you know, who knows? It just, it really will depend on the transition of, you know, when we get back to, um, a semblance of normalcy, um, whether or not, you know, companies are going to be apt to, to hire again. And if, you know, there's going to be a lot of pent up, uh, consumer, consumer demand and spending. And how long is that drag? I mean, we saw the 3.3 million file for joblessness claims. Well, last week and the, and the couple of weeks before that, our, our service and travel industries are, are pretty much non-existent. Uh, and, and then we're seeing oil as well with, with Saudi Arabia and Russia. I know we'll get into that later, but that's also causing a, another uh, point of emphasis on the on the U.S. economy. So I, I just think we're going to continue to see unemployment rise and, and people are going to need cash uh, soon. So it, it, I think you're right. I think we're going to see the uh, – People in Washington, D.C. go back to the drawing board, and even after a $2 trillion spending bill, I think we're going to see another one here in the, in the coming weeks. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, and even the stuff we've we've seen, you know, James uh, Bullard, who's, you know, the St. Louis has said president, you know, the one who was, was bringing up these numbers, um, you know, pretty much stated um, these numbers are going to be unparalleled. Um, this is a special quarter. But, you know, once the virus goes away and if we play our cards right and keep everything intact, then everything will go back to work and, you know, we'll be fine, um, you know, to paraphrase. So, so you know, it might be, you know, we, we could see very high, sharp escalation just because, you know, people can't make payroll for a few months. But then, um, you know, but if, if, if and when, you know, this thing gets contained, we can also maybe see a, a faster recovery than we have in, in, in previous corrections. Right, and we've seen that the Fed has already dropped interest rates to, to near lows and provided billions uh, to backstop critical lending markets. So I think the Fed has done a fantastic job, in my in my opinion, uh, over these last couple of weeks to really really help uh, stabilize the markets a little bit. And I bet the the St. Louis head of St. Louis Fed, he's uh, sounds like a little bit of a doomsdayer with with all these with all these numbers he's throwing out there. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, but. Where we're seeing parallels in World War II is, um, you know, we went from the Great Depression where factories weren't producing anything to um, full mobilization, right? And we're seeing snippets of that right now. I mean, uh, President Trump invokes uh, the Defense 
protection um, and they to force uh, General Motors to make ventilators. Um, so on Friday, you know, um, GM started producing uh, ventilators. Uh, there may be other companies, you know, that um, get to that as well, but uh, really, you know, forcing uh, segments of the private sector to, um, you know, to, to make make up for this um, huge shortage we have in, in, in PPE right now. Well, it's just really interesting because a ventilator is a very highly specialized piece of equipment. And to think that all of a sudden GM, and, and I know Ford was involved in this as well, is just be able to turn around and, and start producing ventilators is, it 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 sounds great, but I, I think to actually put it in motion is a lot harder just to rework an entire factory to build a very highly specialized medical device. Uh, also, we're, we're seeing that the United States is not the only ones trying to make ventilators. And if we think about our global supply chain coming from China, where this has all originated, and they have uh, had a contraction in their economy as well, uh, with such high demand that may impact all of the, the supplies needed in order to, to continue to build and manufacture ventilators. So I think that even with Trump invoking the DPA, I, I think we're still going to be short on ventilators. It would have been great to start this. A uh, couple months ago, but I, I, or weeks ago, but I think we're we're a little too late right now, and I think it's going to be harder for these factories to just all of a sudden turn on and, and begin to produce ventilators that operate properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean there was issues too. I mean um, some of the factories they were looking at, um, like the one in um, Youngstown, um, Ohio, for instance. Uh, I mean we've had some of these factories have been closed and sold, so. Um, you know, we're just we're just way more of a, a service economy now, so it, it's just tough to look at you know manufacturing, which is still a large part of our GDP, but you know not nearly to the same regard it was in the 70s and 80s. Um, and 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 these facilities and these factories are really you know the thing that could be the light at the end of the tunnel for us because because we need them to to create you know to, to ventilators and 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 mass and and everything else. But um, we're just it's just not that segment of our population or economy anymore. So that's going to make it that much more difficult. Right. And we're, we're seeing in New York that they're going to need 30,000 ventilators to properly care for the, for the influx. Uh, and, and hopefully we'll be able to provide that. But I think, as you said, since we've moved uh, away from more of the manufacturing that we we're going to have to figure out a way, a solution for this. Yeah. It's also it's also going to be interesting to see, um, you know, what companies really make it out of this thing, right? Um, you know, the the, <laughs> the Economist, you know, kind of looked at, um, you know, the top dogs, and, and in that sense, it was examining the largest 800 or so um, listed American and European firms. Um, you know, they're taking the average score on four measures: cost of insuring their debt against default. Operating margins, cash buffers, and leverages. Uh, I mean, you had, you know, some medium-sized firms were scoring well, but um, but some of the largest ones, you know, seem to be seem to be uh, doing even better. Um, you know, so I, I think like, you know, some of the uh, you know the Alphabet soup companies, you know, um, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, and Alphabet are in are in uh, pretty good sh shape. Um, and we're and we're seeing winners and losers even now within sectors.
Right. Well, I thought that was a really interesting article, uh, and, and just to give some numbers from it, there they just they just describe downturns as capitalism sorting mechanisms, and in the past three recessions, the share prices of American firms in the top quartile uh, rose by six percent on average, while those in the bottom quartile fell by forty-four uh, percent. So that that's really drastic spread there. We're also seeing already firms begin to cut dividends and shares buybacks, but you're really able to see. Uh, how each company's business model and, and balance sheets perform in downturns because everyone looks good in, in a bull market, but then once once we turn into a bear market, how, how do companies react? Uh, and, and then the as you mentioned, you know we're seeing Microsoft ha- who has gross cash of 134 billion, Apple have gross cash right now of 207 billion, and then Alphabet of 120 billion. So these companies have been sitting on cash and, and have big big buffers there. Um, and then also for these products, we're seeing their products really surge in demand. So, I mean, Microsoft Teams, they timely bought, when they bought Skype and now we're able to, to package that for, for an online platform that uh, we use and I know a lot of people use uh, as, as well as Apple and, and the cloud. So, I think that these larger tech companies position themselves very well and uh, are going to come out of this probably with, with larger market share than they went into it. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that's going to be difficult is uh, there's certainly less social Darwinism or, or like corporate Darwinism, I should say, than there used to be. Um, I mean, you know, back in the day, uh, you know, Boeing might have been riskier, but, you know, it's, it'd be I, – I think I'd be shocked if, if we don't bail out a company like Boeing, right? So, I mean, after OA, <laughs> uh, there's there's just – I think that's a guarantee. Yeah. So. <laughs> So some of them, you know, balance sheets might not be as 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 frothy. And then when you're looking at, um, you know, debt costs and liquidity and leverage and margins, they might not be doing as well. But if they're, if they're a company that's, you know, essential, um, you know, I, I do think we're going to see bailouts. So so it makes – so the sorting is not going to be, you know, totally uh, meritocratic, but um, but to a large extent it would be interesting to see, you know, which, which companies thrive and which don't. Yeah, well, I think you're going to see the the pharma companies and, and the tech companies of Silicon Valley are going to be the ones that perform well. And as you mentioned, Boeing's and the, and the airlines, and as well as the the hospitality industry, I think those are going to be the ones that are going to need bailouts because, as, as we talked about before, uh, people aren't traveling, people aren't flying on planes, and and so uh, it, it, that those are going to be the sectors that get hit the hardest. Mm-hmm. And. I mean, one, one one thing we're really seeing uh, drop is is you know the cost of oil. Um, you know, the other week uh, we saw oil drop to an 18-year low, um, and you know a lot of this has to do with obviously demand due to the coronavirus, but we've also seen you know an escalation and uh, the tit for tat you know oil price war between the Russians and the Saudis. Uh, we saw, you know, Senator Ted Cruz called in on CNBC last week and was talking about him, him and, and eight other Republican senators in particular. You know, they were on uh, the call with with the Saudi ambassador. Uh, you know, and I guess I don't know one of their princesses apparently was on the call. But um, I, I I know from a diplomatic standpoint, the United States has been unloading on the Saudis, uh, and, and we're trying to find, you know some kind of way where, where they can, uh, you know, find, find them, find the middle ground. But, um, you know, as it remains, you're really, 
you're really fighting, you know, two major crises. You're you're fighting decreased demand, and then you're also fighting, um, you know, the squabbles within within OPEC and the OPEC allies. Well, it's a perfect storm, as you mentioned, between demand going down, but then supply going up from from other countries. Uh, also, uh, we're, as you mentioned, people just aren't traveling. Business is slowed. I don't remember the last time I've actually gotten my car to commute from work with everyone transferring to uh, to work from home. Uh, then we're also seeing beginning today that the OPEC is going to allow its allies. They couldn't agree on 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 a on a, a number of of production. So we're seeing allies are going to produce as much oil as they want. Saudi Arabia has vowed to really ramp up their productions, and doesn't seem like Russia is going to uh, really bow out of that. And then other or other countries are following suit on that, like we saw the. United States of Emirates said they're going to increase their production. Uh, so it, it looks like until we see Saudi Saudi Arabia and, and Russia begin to uh, slow down production, I think oil prices are going to continue to drop. Uh, one thing to note on Senator Cruz, I think he's got to shave the beard because that, that is not a good look for him uh, overall. But I think he makes a good point that the United States may no longer be number one uh, in terms of oil production because of the recent price crashes. We're seeing uh, a lot of rigs in the uh, Permian Basin where, where he's in in uh, Texas. Uh, 59 rigs were put out of service. So I, I just don't think that the, the U.S. Is, is really built to to be able to produce oil at these low prices like Saudi Arabia, the really rich countries uh, and oil countries. So uh, it'd be interesting to see uh, if we begin to retaliate in, in any way against Saudi Arabia. I don't really know what that would look like. Uh, considering they've been a, an ally in that region for a very long time, so uh, it, it's it's. I think we're going to continue to see oil continue to drop, especially if the Saudis are going to ramp up oil production, which they which they said they're going to. Yeah, I mean, Daniel Jurgen at IHS definitely definitely thought that we'd be losing our number one spot. Um, you know, when we're looking at you know the current rate of rig closures in the United States right now means an estimated. Uh, $750,000, uh, barrel per day decline. Um, so, I mean, you're, you're taking the country down from an output of, you know, um, 13 million, uh, million barrels per day, uh, down, um, you know, quite rapidly. And we just don't seem to have the, uh, mechanisms, um, to address this, uh, um, and, and to really stay competitive versus, versus other, you know, countries that, that can, can that can drill and refine at a, a lower price points. Exactly right. Um, the, the other thing the interesting of this is in terms of when 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 the smoke settles and when we recover, um, you know, there's there's some um, instances where it may be that Asian economies will be a better economic shape than Western ones. Uh, I mean, it seems, one, that it's a lot more contained in a lot of, across a lot of Asian markets. And um, it, it just seems like, you know, uh, it might make sense to tilt portfolios to, you know, more of the MSCI um, Asian economies uh, kind of, kind of in the midterm, right? That's what it looks like. Uh, it, it looks like that the Asian companies and, and really the Asian governments after the SARS epidemic in 2003 uh, have positioned themselves for, for an upcoming disaster such as the coronavirus. 
Uh, and I think one of the, the crazy stats that, that we saw is uh, Asian companies with their net cap positions compared to Western companies. Uh, so this was from Pine Bridge Investments and uh, the number of uh, Taiwan companies with, uh, with a net cap position, 57 of them, Japan had 50 uh, versus Germany had 33 and, and the U.S. had 18. So that's the number of top 100 companies that had a net cap positions, net cash positions, excuse me. And so we're, we're seeing that the Asian companies and countries are have a nice cash buffer for, for the downturns, whereas the Western are, are lacking. Right. Whereas when you're looking at, you know, the number of top 100 companies uh, with net debt positions, I mean, U.S. leads, then it goes to U.K., then it goes to Germany. Um, so, you know, you're you're engulfed with debt, but then also uh, I think central banks in Asia still have um, a lot more right, you know, ability to, you know, room to cut rates. Whereas, you know, you look at Germany and you look at a lot of other developed, uh, you know, quote unquote, Western economies, you know, they, they're yielding negative yields already. So they're central banks just have a lot less uh, tools tools in their toolbox. Yep, I think that's exactly right. And then we're also seeing uh, after we had what seemed like uh, a little bit of break in, in our trade war and tensions with China, uh, and then after this coronavirus, it seems like uh, we both we both stepped it up here a little bit with, with Donald Trump. As uh, as well as the the Chinese officials, uh, both going back and forth, uh, we saw China expel reporters, uh, and and then we also seen Chinese officials coming out and saying that uh, the coronavirus is an American bioweapon produced from the CIA uh, that was released in Wuhan, and then but then on the flip side, we're we're seeing that the the Americans are saying that the coronavirus was actually created in a, in a lab in Wuhan. So we're seeing that uh, tensions uh, over this crisis are uh, are starting to escalate between the two governments going back and forth. And, and um, so interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, I, I mean, if anything, you know, there's been there's been years of, uh, you know, people pushing for a pivot or a restructuring in our foreign policy and uh, apparatus and, you know, how we emphasize what we look at in the world. I think that uh, after this, I don't know, relations with Asia as a whole um, are going to be damaged as that's kind of, you know, the way of the future. But I, I mean, you know, China and U.S. relations were already pretty fraught and damaged when we're looking at, you know, the trade war. Now this, um, it's just, it's, it's going to be tough for, you know, the world's two largest economies to get back to a semblance of, like, formal relationships. Um, we've seen, you know, uh, the most largest expulsions of Western journalists from China since Mao Zedong took over uh, in 1949. So, I mean, you've had people from New York Times and Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal getting kicked out of mainland China. Uh, yeah, there's that conspiracy that this was, you know, created by, um, you know, it was the American Army that brought covid uh, 19 to China. That's, uh, you know, but now, but now we're calling it, you know, SARS COVID, you know, two, or we're calling it the Chinese virus. So, you know, th things are, tensions are definitely escalating. Um, it's just going to be quite interesting to see because we, we are going to have to mend relationship in some way, but it's, it's just, it just seems strange, uh, 
to think of, you know, an olive branch at one point or what that can be in the midst of this pandemic. But yeah, I don't, I don't know what it would be. We saw that the Wall Street Journal got kicked out, but also the New York Times and Washington Post recently, uh, and then they also got banned from Hong Kong, which usually, usually reporters can go to Hong Kong if they get banned from mainland China because Hong Kong's a bit of a uh, safe haven, but we saw President Trump be hard on on the Chinese uh, with the trade war, and then also uh, look hunting down Chinese spies as well as banning Huawei for the 5G. Uh, so I, I I don't know what the olive branch branch will be, uh, but I don't see it coming any <laughs> anytime soon. Um, but I, I do think that the rumors are a little funny now that they're saying that it's a a, a bioweapon from the Americans, and, and now we're looking at New York as not having the most cases in the <laughs> in the entire world. So it's a uh, yeah, love the, the propaganda. Pretty shitty bioweapon. Then you know we're now being <laughs> <laughs> you can't control it. Right. So it's, yeah. <laughs> oh, we got them good on that one, yeah. right, fellas. Yeah, I, I just I don't see the logic there. It seems, uh, but hey, you, you got to get the propaganda where where you can take it, I guess. Especially when you're in, when you're in China. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about the virus, but are, is there anything that we should be kind of studying on a market basis, um, you know, here? Um, Grant, I mean, what, what are you looking at? Well, I, I think, I, as we mentioned, everything's really tying on the on the coronavirus and, and how long it, it lasts and if we can flatten the curve. Uh, one thing that I will be looking at here is is uh, we will see Q1 earnings begin to come out here in the in the next coming weeks, so uh, be able to to see what those look look like. Excuse me, uh, we've seen that we are already seeing uh, analysts come out and think that we're going to see a 10% lower than the same period last year uh, compared to Q1, uh, and then I believe coming into to the second quarter it's going to be much lower. Uh, even with the rally at the end of March, we saw a decrease in the markets today. Uh, and and I think this pandemic could change human behavior about going out to eat and, and travel as well as concerts and sports games. So it, it really could have a huge drag on, on how long it's going to take people to get back to normal. Uh, but I, I don't really know what else there is to say other than uh, the, the coronavirus and hope everyone stays safe out there. What are you uh, – anything on your mind, Drew? I, I mean, I think we should be looking at corporate debt issuance, right? Um, certainly blown up since the financial crisis, uh, went up 78% since the recession ended. But we saw recently Moody's Investor Services has cut its outlook uh, from U.S. debt from stable to – or U.S. corporate debt from stable to negative. So I, I just think we're going to see, uh, you know, a lot more delinquencies uh, from a lot more, lot more uh, you know, companies and, and rising default rates. So I think corporate debt will be definitely something to to, to look at. Um, I mean, because a lot of people are looking at fixed income, and that's uh, it's usually one that, um, you know, offers decent credit quality and, and uh, decent yield. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens to that sector. Yeah, we could see high-yield bonds. Uh, begin to have ratings that downgrades and, and how that impacts the prices and if default rates continue to, to rise or increase at all, I think that that could be a bit devastating for, for some investors. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have some refinance risks. Uh, there's there's just a lot of stuff going on. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Goldman Sachs, you know, estimated that there's 
$765 billion worth of investment in high-yield income bonds that have experienced, uh, you know, ratings downgrades already in 2020. So um, just a lot happening in a very short amount of time. But, yeah, um, so, I mean, for everybody out there, uh, thanks for joining us in our, our first um, remote, uh, you know, podcast. Uh, we'll be continuing this, um, you know, using, using, using this, remote, this remote calls. Um, stay safe up there, and, um, and, and then we'll be back. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked in any of the content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.